Amen. Colossians chapter 2 in the New Testament, if you would like to turn there, Paul writes this precious church that he'd never been to before, uh, just to encourage them because the church had been infiltrated by some well-meaning but uh, heretical teachers. I say well-meaning because I try to give them the benefit of the doubt. It gave birth in the second, third centuries to the heresy known as Gnosticism. This kind of really is proto-Gnosticism. Here it's kind of an early mixture with that and Jewish asceticism. Asceticism is not an acid drink. That's not what asceticism means. It means that you lead such a harsh, austere lifestyle. You do nothing that's fun. You do nothing that's enjoyable. You eat bread. You drink water. You lay on a bed of nails. That's an ascetic lifestyle. And some of the Jews were advocating that as a way to earn God's approval. Now, I'm a firm believer in denying your flesh, but I can tell you this. I don't advocate anybody go to bed at night on a bed of nails. Some religions do. I think that's crazy. Can I tell you what? You can't earn your way into God's presence or earn his approval. You can't earn it. It's been offered to you as a free gift. And in the sacrifice of Jesus, there is nothing you can add to that. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It's not Jesus plus church membership. It's not Jesus plus whatever. It's just Jesus. And if you have asked him to come into your heart and life, if you have confessed to him in all humility your sins, if you've asked him to wash you clean, you're clean, man. You are in Christ Jesus. You're clothed no longer in your own righteousness. Hot tip, you never had any. But you already knew that. If God's standard is perfection, we know that we all fall short, amen? That should plant in every human heart humility. There's nothing I did to earn God's approval or his love, and yet he loves me. And because I've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, which is only reasonable, I might add, he has saved me. He's given me the righteousness of his own son, and I can't add to that. I can't add to that. So it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Paul writes this precious church because he had led a guy to the Lord in Ephesus whose name was Epaphras. Epaphras, his home was Colossae. And so he went back there, brought the gospel with him. Next thing you know, he's got a house church going on, a home fellowship of a handful of people, probably starting with his own family. But then as his family became excited about Christ, they were inviting their friends. Hey, come on, we're going to study the Word of God together. We're going to praise His name. We're going to pray all of the things the early church did that the church has been continuing in for 2,000 years. We have a glorious foundation in front of us. And what binds us together, regardless of denominational preference, is the blood of Jesus Christ. And because He's covered us in His blood, washed away all of our sins, his Holy Spirit brings to bear in our lives love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, gentleness. Oh, those kind of fruit that are mentioned in Galatians 5, I pray for on a daily basis. I, we sang that song this morning about uh, send your rain, Lord, and I just see myself standing out. You can't do this in Colorado because when it rains in Colorado, that rain is about 28 degrees, isn't it? It just, it'll chill you to the bone. But in other places of the country, I've heard that when it rains, it's a nice warm rain and just floods over you and you go, ah, that's refreshing. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would baptize 
baptize you afresh in that warm, gentle rain that, re- that puts a smile on your face and joy in your heart. That's what God wants for each one of us, that we walk in victory. That's what it means to be more than conquerors. Satan throws all sorts of garbage at us. God is greater. Amen? In Colossians chapter 2, Paul has been talking about his labor for the church. And so, starting off in verse 1, he says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, a nearby city, uh, and for all of those who have not met me personally. He had not met the, the church there at Colossae. Uh, or Hierapolis or Laodicea, but it's fascinating. Once the gospel was planted in Ephesus, it made its way into all of these other towns. Now, you read about Laodicea later on in the book of Revelation. They started out spirit-filled and on fire, but somehow became lukewarm. So Jesus had to encourage them in uh, Revelation chapter 3. Realize your true spiritual condition and come back. Come back. Uh, what breaks the heart of God is when the people of God try to act Christianly apart from him. And yet Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We can put on airs of religion but like the Jews did, but that has kind of a slimy feel to it, doesn't it? I don't want religion when I can have relationship with Jesus. And he uses this wrestling term to describe his prayer life. Struggling in the, is a Greek wrestling term. It literally is agonizing where he's in agony for the church. He's agonizing in prayer. He's wrestling to the point of sheer exhaustion. Man, I wish I had a prayer life like that. I mean, you're just praying. I mean, when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, great drops of blood came up. I mean, that is earnest prayer. I've never prayed that hard. I'm convicted that I have never prayed that hard. I want to pray better. I don't know that I, I need drops of blood coming from my forehead. Jesus already did that for me. I'm good. But do I do what Paul does? Do I labor in prayer to the point that I'm exhausted? Is my care and my concern for the body of Christ bring me to that point where I'm, I'm praying my brains out for you guys? It should. In fact, I'll make you a deal. You pray for me. I'll pray for you. Does that sound like a fair trade? Don't you dare drop the ball on me. Don't you be slacking. A pastor knows when his congregation's not praying for him. But I think praying for each other, all of us praying for each other, uh, is the mark of a true disciple because it shows love. It says, I care. I'll pray for you. Give me your hand. Don't, Don't just do that Christian trite Thing and say, oh, brother, yeah, oh, sister, I'll pray for you, sure. And then you, as soon as you turn around, you even forgot their name. And you will certainly forget to pray for them. So here's what I encourage you to do, because your memory is at least as short as mine. When somebody asks you to pray for something about them, grab their hand. Pray. You say, well, that's pretty intimidating. No. Let me show you Intimidating. It's when the pastor comes down from the pulpit, walks down the stairs, starts eyeballing his congregation. Make my day. And everybody is terrified. Oh, my God. Is he going to? Am I his sermon illustration this morning? Yes, George, you are. Uh Give me your hand. 
I know you need prayer. Heavenly Father, bless my brother. Take care of every care, concern he has, and fill him to overflowing with the joy of his salvation. Father, we give you glory, honor, and praise for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Boy, that's pretty unintimidating, unless, of course, you're George. I can pick on him. He's a board member. got broad shoulders. He can handle it. He's a good man. Do that to each other. Do that to each other. You can do that at Walmart. You can do that here at church. You can do that back in the Sunday school. But don't let the enemy intimidate you into not doing that. Can I tell you, I've never been kicked out of Walmart for praying with somebody. Never. I've never been kicked out of a Valero gas station for praying with the other guy on the other side of the pumps that's really struggling. I've never had it happen yet. So what's the worst they can do for you? Do to you. I mean, it's not like we got Christian jail anymore. Ooh, you witnessed, Barry. You got to go to jail now. Really? So don't let the enemy intimidate you. You say, well, I'm a shy and not outgoing person. You can be healed of that. You can, we can anoint you this, this morning and we can pray for that. Just be bold in the Lord, which just means be having your eyes open to opportunities to minister, to share the love of Jesus Christ. That feels good when people do it to you. When you do it to others, it'll feel just as good. Because I can tell you this, everywhere you go, at your work, in your leisure and recreational habits, in your church, there are people in need. There are people in need. So when on Sunday morning or at any other time you grab a hand and you say, is there anything I can pray for you about? They go, no, I'm good. Know this. They're lying to you. Everybody's got something on their plate, right? Transparency says, pray for me about that. We're stronger together, aren't we? We're stronger together. That's what Colossians is all about, where Paul says, I love you guys enough, though I don't know you personally. I'm agonizing. I'm agonizing for you in prayer. And I want to pray the same way for you guys and you for each other. It's encouraging. It blesses the church. Wrestling in prayer to the point of utter exhaustion. Hmm, I like that picture. Verse 2, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. What is that? Mystery, that was a buzzword amongst these Gnostics, these false teachers, a buzzword. What is the mystery? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. He dwells in you by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans if I ascend back to the Father. I will send the Holy Spirit. So he is with us. He is inside of us. He had promised his disciples. He said, this Holy Spirit has been with you. The Greek word is para, parallel. He's been external to you, but he's been working on your heart. You heard that voice and felt that inclination before you became a Christian. He was drawing you to himself. But Jesus said he has been external to you, but he told his disciples, but at some point in time in the future, he's going to be in you inside of you, literally, physically, the Holy Spirit of God indwells my conscious. He's there guiding me, directing me, reminding me of whatsoever things Jesus said, encouraging me to make the most of every opportunity. The Greek word encouragement, I love this word, parakaleo. 
later on in its usage, it came to mean defense attorney. The paraclete is your defense attorney. He's the one when the enemy makes accusation against you, he'll stand up on your behalf. But its earlier meaning meant somebody who came alongside of you, para, parallel, he came alongside of you and helped you to walk. Before crutches were invented, people would come alongside of other people, sometimes family members, and help them to walk. Well, that's parakaleo in a nutshell. You come alongside of somebody. You help them to walk. They, maybe they've got a limp or a gimp. I, all the time people are asking, well, Pastor Jim, are you limping? And for a year past when they had that botched ankle surgery, yeah, I limped a, a long time. Uh, Kathy's got a bad knee, sometimes she limps, and I'll do everything and anything I can to help her. Well, that's what the paraclete, the parakletos is how it's pronounced in the Greek. That's what he does. He comes alongside of us. And here's how you know it's encouragement. I always feel better when he does. Always feel better when he does. Now, there are other words that have a more pointed force to them, but not this word. This is a word that, that leaves people better off than when the paraclete first came, whether it's my helping my wife up or downstairs. She feels better when I do that. Or God helping me, he feels better when he does that. Some translate the word comforted. That's a part of it, but it means more than that because shallow sympathy usually makes people feel worse. You go to a funeral, somebody who didn't know you from Adam, you know, and you're grieving over the lost loved one, and, you, and they come alongside you and go, well, you know, they're in a better place. Well, they don't know you from Adam and don't know the deceased person from Adam and are speaking off the top of their head something they hope helps, and you go, that didn't help at all. Well, that's not encouragement, but some people think it is. True spiritual encouragement makes them feel better, makes them feel better. That's why I love, especially Paul's epistles, where every, it seems like every paragraph, he's coming alongside the church. Church has got some issues, Colossae, this little home fellowship, it's got some issues, they're going through some hard times, and yet Paul says, let me come alongside of you. There's not a hint of harshness in this letter. Oh, he talks to the false teachers, oh yeah, he's got some words for them, and let me tell you what William Barclay said in his commentary, who was the, the guy who had his doctorate in history as, as well as theology. And he shared this in his commentary, commentary, illustrating what the Greek word parakaleo means. He says this, quote, There was this Greek regiment that had lost heart and was utterly dejected. The general sent a leader to talk to it to such a purpose that courage was reborn and a body of dispirited men became fit again for heroic action. That is what parakaleo means here. I like that. Isn't that a great story? The general didn't go off on, on these, this regiment and say, what a pathetic bunch of losers you are. He didn't try to do anything by way of corrective action. He just sent his, his, his under officer and said, want you to build these guys up, want you to encourage them. They're dispirited, they're disheartened. And whatever words were shared gave them courage. Courage was reborn, and a body of dispirited men became fit again for heroic action. 
That's what encouragement does. It prepares you once again for heroic action because all of us limp from Sunday to Sunday because sometimes the world sucks us dry spiritually. Do I hear an amen? What you come is not for a sheep beating on Sundays. I could be wrong. If you're masochistic, you may enjoy that. But I don't think that's why people come to church. I think they need encouragement. And if you don't feel better when you leave than when you came, I have failed to encourage you, for which I apologize heartily if I have ever failed to do that. But my job is to parakaleo, come alongside of you and leave you feeling better than you, you did. Paul says it not only is his gift, uh, his mission, his ministry to encourage them, verse 2, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. But that is a fascinating Greek word that was used in the households of Greek women who knit. Now, I can't braid my way out of a paper bag. Every time my wife has ever asked me to braid her hair, it looks like one hot mess. I can't, I can't do that braiding thing. But that is a picture that is used here of God knitting together the body of Christ. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That we're interwoven with each other. And you can't separate those braids anymore. We are one in the body of Christ. That gives us a sense of unity and purpose. There aren't many bodies of Christ. There is one body of Christ. He is the head of it. And us, we are woven together. Maybe a, a more current application might be found in, in people that, that uh, do the dreadlocks thing and they knit their hair together in ways that I'm, I don't know anything about. But I see that they got this braid looking thing all over their head and it looks kind of cool. I like it. I don't know how to do it. Don't know how they did it. But it lasts a long time and it's very difficult to undo that. We are united in the body of Christ. It should be all but impossible for the enemy to pull that apart. We're interwoven. I get the picture that we're not only braided together, but then God poured super glue all over us to hold it together. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So you and I, we're joined at the hip. We're joined at the head. We're joined at the heart. We're in this together. Let's work towards God's common purposes in advancing His kingdom. Let's build up the body of Christ. Let's share our faith with those that don't yet know Him. I love doing that. A mature Christian loves the brother, seeks to be a peacemaker. He or she promotes spiritual unity, peace, harmony within the church. An immature person, the selfish, demanding of their own way, causes division whether intended or not. We, our job is to love. So Paul says in continuing down there, I love how he it just enriches us once again in this knowledge. He keeps repeating himself a fair amount. He says in verse 2, not only is his purpose to encourage that we would be united in love, but so that we may have the full riches of complete understanding. Again, he's using some, some Gnostic buzzwords that the cult was using. You want some full knowledge? You want some complete understanding? It's all found in Christ. Everything, in order that we may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden, what? All, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I need nothing else. 
I have Jesus. I have his word. I have his Holy Spirit to help me understand his word. If you're ever reading through your Bible and you say, well, I'm not sure I understand that, and you don't have Pastor Jim or Pastor Tracy on speed dial, ask God. Ask God to say, Lord, I'm, I don't understand this. Would you, would you help me? Sometimes a study Bible is helpful, sometimes, but I would encourage you to depend upon God more than a study Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to give you illumination. Didn't Jesus say the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will remind you of whatsoever things I've said? I need that reminder constantly. It's, it'll, he'll always be refreshing me in the, the word of the Lord. Verse 4 I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ Jesus is. Some of the cults and false teachers have some very persuasive-sounding arguments, but there's always something in your spirit as a Christian that goes, yeah, it sounded mostly right, but... Or, you know, to me, it's, oh, the analogy is a, is a fisherman's analogy. No, no fish is going to bite a bear hook. So you always got to put some bait on it. False teachers seem to put in just enough truth on the end of the barb to get you to swallow that, and then they set the hook in your jaw and feed you the rest of their lies and heretical teachings, either denying the deity of Christ or his resurrection or he was just a man, and starting to just twist and pollute the Word of God. And Paul's calling the Colossians back, it's Jesus. If you don't know what life is about, it's Jesus. If you don't know why you're alive today, it's Jesus. If you don't know where you're going this morning, it's Jesus. If you got Jesus in here, Christ in you, the hope of glory, I know where you're going. I know who's going to get you from here to there. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion against the day of Christ. That's a glorious promise. That's for you as a child of God. I love his promises. It, it encourages my heart so much. Paul says in verse 4, I thought this was kind of funny. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your, your faith is. So Paul is saying, you know, I'm not really there physically, but I'm kind of there spiritually with you guys. And I think that there are so many people, I've heard this so many times from from people that attend church that way. Well, brother, you know, I, I was with you in spirit, brother. I just wasn't there physically. Well, you're not there then. <laughs> this isn't rocket science. You find whatever excuses you want. That's great if you're not here. But don't say, I'm here with you spiritually. When in fact, you're not. You're fishing. <laughs> you're golfing. You're doing something else. You know, if the whole church had an attitude like that, then we'd have nobody here at all this morning. Well, I was with you in spirit. Well, sometimes you need to drag your body to those meetings. If everybody took that mindset, we'd have to close our doors. There'd, there'd be no sense of existing. Look at what he says here in verse 6, though. This just thrills my heart. So then, just as you received, at some point in time, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continuously continue to live in him. That is most faithful to the Greek language there that puts it in a present tense, and it's a continuous and ongoing action. How did you receive Jesus Christ as Lord? You confessed your sins. You repented of your sins. 
you asked him to forgive you and make your heart his home. In other words, you came with, you weren't demanding, you better save me. You came what? Humbly, contritely. You came as a little child. Because little children understand love. They may be immature in their understanding of a wide variety of things. But my little grandsons, for instance, they know love. When they come over to my house and run indoors, well, the first thing he wants is a hug. I'm not there to question their theology. <laughs> they don't have much at, at seven and nine years of age. It's growing, but it's a seed that requires patience and perseverance. But they come, they're always, they're always so kind and so gentle. Papa, I just want a hug. You hug me, Papa. Let me talk to you. And then they start talking, and I'm talking, and talking, and they never stop talking. And I just love it. I just love it. I relish that. Sometimes my, my daughter or my son-in-law would say, oh, oh, sorry to bother you. I know the kids are glomming for your time. It's a bother. <laughs> for this, I was born. I thought it was for some other reason. No, God birthed me to make me a grandpa because once you're a grandpa, I'll tell you what, you don't ever want to go back. You don't ever, whatever you had before, it ain't nothing compared to, to your grandchildren showing you what the love of Jesus Christ really looks like. It's unconditional. It's wonderful. And the Father basks in our love for Him just like I bask in the love that my grandchildren have for me. I want to stay in that childlike place in my relationship with them, or we'll both grow and mature. But I told him, you know, just yesterday, we were, we were playing around, and I said, I don't ever want you to stop loving Grandma and Grandpa the way you do today. I don't want you to find out that there's such a thing as cell phones. I don't want anything to take away from the richness of this relationship. And they both said, never, never, never. We'll never let, let cell phones or friends or school or nothing else get in the way. We love you. We love you, Papa. I win. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to grab whatever wins you can get in life, right? None sweeter than that. How, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, simple, humble, childlike, continuously continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and always overflowing with thankfulness. Say to God often, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for my salvation, for my family, my job, my children, the roof over my head, the clothes that I wear, the, the food in my mouth. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. He provides all of these things to those that look to him as Lord. I'll tell you what, regardless of how old I grow or how much knowledge I acquire, I never want to forget Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is a child, a little child. I never want to lose that innocence, that, that humility, that teachableness, that elemental, raw love that's unconditional. I don't ever want to lose sight of that. We live in such a busy day and age where entertainment and media are at the head of the idols that are served throughout the world. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. There's a part of you and me as sheep 
God is our shepherd. But there's a part of us that longs for a quiet, still, peaceful life. And TV robs you of that. Your cell phone robs you of that. Your computer can potentially rob you of that. And when you find yourself in that place where I'm stressing out and I'm, I'm, I'm just feeling anxious in my soul, that's when you need to turn off all the technology entertainment and just find a place where it's just you and Jesus again. Feel free to grab your Bible. Get, put yourself in that prayer closet that Jesus talked about and just say, Lord, I just want to be a little child again. I just want to crawl up in my father's lap and say, God, I love you so much. I'm so thankful for my salvation. Humble yourself before him. James, doesn't James tell us, humble yourself in the sight of God and he, he will lift you up. I want to always be that little child. I don't want to stray far from that. <clears throat> Whatever accomplishments I've accomplished in life, I feel just like Paul did where he said, I was raised and trained under Gamaliel. I was raised in his year's court. He was a part of the... Uh, apparently a voting member of the Sanhedrin at one point in time because he says in Acts 22, at the stoning of Stephen, he cast his pebble. That means literally I voted for the guy's execution. If you're not a voting member of the Sanhedrin, of course, you can't do that. Paul had a lot to brag on. He came from the tribe of Benjamin. Oh, he was this, he was that. And then he says, and all of those things I now consider refuse, rubbish, so that I might attain Christ and have him. So Paul said, everything I used to live for, I now die too. Whoever you were is not who you are. And who you are today, this morning, is not who you're going to be in glory. Okay? But don't let your past set its hooks into you. Oh, I used to do this. Oh, the good old days. Oh, I remember when I was important. I remember when people bowed. I remember when I went to school and was taught by the rabbi Gamaliel. You know, Paul said, mm. old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's how I want to act. I will always act out what I really believe to be true. If I really believe my past has been wiped out, I won't refer to it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter anymore. Who I am right now, oh, still a man full of flaws. I am not yet the man I'm going to be, but I'm keeping my eyes on the prize. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not there yet, but I know the way. I know the truth. I know the life. When Jesus said, I'm the way, understand he's gone on before you. We just walk in his footsteps, following after him, asking him every day, oh, Lord, fill me afresh with the joy of my salvation. Fill me with all of the spiritual fruit. Fill me, Lord, with all of the spiritual gifts I need to successfully minister to the people that you put in my path today. God, he is everything. Jesus Christ has purchased it all for us. But I must not forget verse 6. As just as I received him, I want to continue in him. <clears throat> Rooted, built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. See to it, verse 8, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, these false teachers that had infiltrated the church, advocating either, in fact, both a weird kind of a combination between Jewish asceticism, deny everything, and this weird 
emphasis on knowledge, or this special knowledge that the Gnostics defined their club as being pursuers of. See that no one takes you captive through this hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends upon what? Human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. What the Jews had done is they had uh, a collection of books called the Talmud. Perhaps you've heard that term before. It has two compartments to the Talmud, the Mishnah and the Gemara. But basically, it's a bunch of additions to the Word of God. I'll give you for instance. Uh, in the Old Testament, it says to keep the Sabbath holy and do no work on the Sabbath. And I say amen. So after, after Sunday when I go home and preach, I take a nap. And then I get up and eat something. And then I repeat. <laughs> uh, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to handle business. I don't want to balance the checkbook. I don't want to do nothing. I just want to go home, enjoy my family. If grandkids come over, so much the better. It's a chill day. But that wasn't enough for the Jews. They said, oh, no, 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 no. That, okay, that's what the law says, but... Here's how we're going to define that for you. You can't walk more than a thousand paces from your home. What's the problem with that? It doesn't say that in the Word of God. That's the problem with they added to the Word of God. Well, I can't do that. Uh, another example, they said, you can't wear your false teeth on the Sabbath. That's doing work. What? doing work. It's going to be a lot more work eating that corn on the cob without my dentures. So which is it? Do I work hard? Or, you know, it made no sense at all. But they thought, oh, that's godly. To add to the Word of God is not more godly. In fact, didn't Jesus say in Revelation 22, if you add to the words of this book, I will add to you the plagues described in this book. And if you take away anything from my word, I will take out your name from the Lamb's book of life. I mean, you just don't want a monkey with the word of God. This is the word of God. Stick with it. We don't need additions to that. We don't need people adding to that. Stick with the word of God. It's balanced. It's everything I need from Genesis to Revelation. I, I just need to do it. But these Jewish ascetic teachers said, no, 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 we've got to add to the law. So a lot of times when I'm asked about issues X, Y, or Z, I, you don't want my opinion. I always go back to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? Because to me, it's the final authority. It's the only book that Jesus ever quoted. If it was good enough for him, shouldn't it be good enough for us? without feeling like I need to add to it or take away from it. A lot of people go to churches where they've taken the word repentance out of the Bible. They've taken the word sin out of the Word of God. And I think they're just as much guilty of taking away from the Word of God as some cults are about adding to the Word of God. Both are wrong. Can I tell you, we as Christians walk down a narrow levee, this narrow bridge of land between two bodies of water much like the dikes and the levees that they have surrounding the entire city of, of New Orleans. By the way, as an aside, who in their right mind builds a city below sea level? Does that make any sense to you? Well, look at what happened. We flooded during Katrina. Duh. 
You're beneath. But anyway, I, I digress. They build all of these dikes and levees around here. We walk a narrow levee that follows the path of Jesus Christ. It's a narrow path. Jesus said it was narrow himself, didn't he? Broad is the way it leads to destruction. We walk a narrow path that's defined for us by the Word of God. Now, Jewish asceticism is on this side. Oh, let's get all legalistic and sleep on a bed of nails and you wear burlap and stuff like that and itchy clothes and just eat bread and, and drink water and anything past that, oh, you're in sin. Well, that's Jewish legalism. Over on the other side is a problem that the early Corinthian church struggled with. Well, let's get drunk and we can eat meat sacrificed idols and we can do this and we get freedom to do this and... I don't think Satan cares which side of the dike you fall off of. We walk this narrow path defined by the Word of God, but some will try to pull us into legalism. Well, you need to add to it. You need to add to the Word of God. And others will say, no, 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 you need to take away from the Word of God. It's too strict. It's too narrow. God is a cosmic killjoy. How about we just stick with the Word of God? It defines for us both liberty and license. And we should avoid the extremes that Satan will always plant in any given church. Too much or too little. Add to the Word of God, take away from the Word of God. If we stick with the Word of God, we're on the safest ground possible. And that's what Paul is advocating the, the church at Colossae in light of the false teaching that had come into it. So he says, verse 8, let no one with these Jewish traditions that they've added to it in, in the Talmud... <clears throat> Watch out for that stuff. Verse 9, for in Christ, oh boy, here's your highlighter passage if you were looking for it. Verse 9, for in Christ Jesus all, say all, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. The Colossian heresy kind of said, he's just a man. Some versions of that heresy said, well, the Holy Spirit came upon him when he was baptized but left him before he got crucified. They can't tell you exactly when. So he was born a man, he died a man, and somewhere in between the Holy Spirit came upon him. It's heresy. A lot of the heretical teaching that's out there today diminishes the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's pointing out when you've got Christ, you don't need Jewish legalism, you don't need Greek license. You walk this narrow path called Jesus Christ. In Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. That's why you don't need these Gnostics. That's why you don't need anything else. You just need Jesus. He, he gives you all that you need. Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the old sinful nature, your flesh, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. He circumcised your heart. He changed your heart. He gave you a new nature. You still have to deal with the old nature, which explains why sometimes you feel like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Sometimes you're pulled this way by your old nature, but you know what the Holy Spirit, He's pulling you this way. And sometimes you feel like, who, when, when does the tug of war ever end? When Christ comes back. It'll be over. Hanging there till then, I can tell you who ultimately wins the tug of war contest. It's Jesus. He's got this. In Christ, verse 9, all the fullness of deity dwells. Jesus is all we need. He has all of us 
does he have all of you? All of your hopes and dreams and goals and aspirations, is he Lord of them all? Have you let go of that stuff yet? He loves you so much, he's going to lead and guide you in ways that are wonderful and perfect beyond your understanding today, but may be revealed to you tomorrow. But we walk with him, we trust in him, he leads us, he's, he guides us. I want him to have all of me. Some people are afraid to accept Christ because they might have to give up their sins. <clears throat> Can I tell you what it will cost you to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Everything. You die. He lives through you. Some of you haven't died enough. Still some parts of your old nature, a dysfunctional past, a dream, a goal, a hope, or aspiration that you don't want to let go of former identity, a hope for the future. I don't know what it is, but I know this. Every sheep I ever met has baggage. Give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. Sometimes we bear burdens that he never meant for us to carry. He wants to do that for you and I. He loves us so much. I want him to have all of me, but that is that reflected in my character? Is that reflected in my conduct? Is it seen in my love? Is it seen in my actions? Oh, God, help us to realize we are complete in Christ, not in myself or my background, education, or whatever. My righteousness is complete. My salvation is complete. I, I cannot add to that. I'm complete in Him. Just trust Him. Rely on Him. In Him I'm complete, without spot, without blemish. There's nothing I can add to that. He is my righteousness. I'm clothed in His righteousness, not mine. Here's your identity. Men are especially bad about this. When people ask them, well, who are you? What do you do? They inevitably tell you about their job history or what they're currently doing. Oh, I'm an aerospace engineer for Eagle Picture Industries, making flight cells for satellites, uh, no, that's what I do, but that's not who I am. Men are particularly bad. Oh, I'm a carpenter. I build houses. I do X, Y, or Z. I'm an electrician. That's what you do. That's not who you are. Who are you in Christ Jesus? Think this through. Number one, I am accepted. I'm a child of God. I've been bought with a price, thus my life has value. He shed his blood to bring me into his kingdom. My life has meaning. My life has purpose because of him. I'm a saint according to the scriptures. Sometimes a stretch for me to comprehend, but that's what God calls me in his word. I'm a saint to the saints at Colossae. I have access to God. I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven all of my sins. I am complete in Christ Jesus. <sighs> I love it. Secondly, I am secure. I'm free from condemnation, assured that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purpose. I cannot be separated from God's love. I've been established, anointed, sealed by God, filled with His Holy Spirit. I'm hidden with Christ in God. I've not been given a spirit of fear or of bondage, but of power and love and a sound mind. I am secure. Nothing you can do can rattle my cage. 
I'm secure in who I am in Christ Jesus. Don't let anybody rattle your cage. Thirdly, write this down. You're going to need to rehearse these things when you feel self-criticized or self-condemned or you have, I wonder if I'm saved today. Maybe I did something wrong and lost my salvation. No. I am accepted. I'm secure. Thirdly, my life has significance. I'm the salt and light of the earth. I'm a branch of the true vine. I've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit, God's Word says. I am the temple of God. Huh? How about that? Try that one on for size. This body, this old broken down body, it, I'm the temple of God. I got the Holy Spirit inside of me. Bible says I am his co-worker. Wow. I have influence in this life. I can tell people about Jesus. I partner together with his Holy Spirit inside of me to tell people about the love of God. I'm a co-worker with God, and so are you if you're a child of God. My Bible says in Ephesians, I am God's workmanship. Greek. Workmanship is poema. It's where we get the word poem. In Greek, it meant a beautiful statue. I am God's workmanship. That is a statement of how much God esteems you and how beautiful you are in His sight. That's a glorious privilege. I am a minister of reconciliation. I am a herald of the gospel. All of these have scriptural verses behind them. I can do, oh, here's a good one. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I love the promises of God, don't you? I mean, that's a highlighter if ever there was one in the whole Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what I used to be. Much of it I'm ashamed of. That is not who I am. I am a child of God. And quite frankly, the best lies ahead. The best lies ahead for each one of us. I am not who I was. But I am not yet the man I'm going to be. So be patient with me. I'm a work under construction. I'm literally a poem under construction, a poema, a piece of God's workmanship. Statue's not done yet. One time Michelangelo, the famous Italian sculptor, artist, and painter, was asked, how do you take a 40-ton block of marble and carve out the Pieta for crying out loud? How do you do that, Michelangelo? You know what he said? I, I found this instructive. He said, the statue is always inside of there. I just have to chip off everything that doesn't belong on it. Well, that's how God sees you and I. Only you're not a block of, of marble. Some of us guys are a block of wood or maybe less dignified materials than that. We're a hot mess. <laughs> but God, over the course of your life, has got his hammer and chisel and going to chisel off everything that is of your old nature and your flesh and your pride and your whatever else baggage you brought to the table. He's chipping that away so that the real you can be revealed. And someday we'll stand before him in glory. When we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're all a work under construction, which requires patience. Tell you what, you be patient with me. I'll be patient with you. 
Love covers a multitude of sins. If it covers a multitude of sins, shouldn't it cover a multitude of differences of opinion? Well, I'm a Democrat. I don't think you can be a, a Republican to be saved. Then the next person's hand I shake, say, uh, I'm a Republican. I don't see how you can be a Democrat and be saved. Love covers all of that. It doesn't matter. That's not my identity. That's how I vote. That's not who I am. That's how I vote uh, at, at the elections or an independent or whatever else you check on those boxes. But understand who you really are in Christ. I'm accepted. I'm secure. And my life has significance. I want to leave off here this morning because I'm not sure it gets better than that from this point forward. <laughs> who I am in Christ Jesus is everything to me. It, it forms the basis of my life. It gives me direction. It helps me to deal with the inevitable stuff that comes up in life, whether it's health issues or job issues, financial setbacks, or a thousand other things. I can tell you what, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You've got to grab on to that this morning. You've got to say, that's God's promise for me. Pastor Jim may have been Balaam's donkey. It doesn't matter what donkey the message comes through, but it matters that I take the message to heart. Don't sit there and say, well, I'll bet this message was great for so-and-so, or the wife be nudging the husband going, yo, you listening? Have you noticed that doesn't work well? But if you can walk away this morning and say, that was for me. God wants to encourage me. God wants to bless me. God wants to change me. God wants to challenge me. God wants to use me for His glory in ways that I can't even barely imagine today. This is not who I am. That's who I was. Forget that. The Paul said, this one thing I do. Well, you want to pay attention when Scripture uses that kind of terminology. It's important. This one thing I do. Forgetting the past. Looking forward to what lies in Christ Jesus. Some of you have not forgotten the past. You keep dragging it up. Oh, the good old days. Oh, Pastor Jim, I, I used to be a motorcycle racer. So? Oh, I used to be a guitar player. So? Those are the things that I did. That's not who I am. I kept beans and weenies on the table. But that's not who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm headed for glory. And there's work to be done between here and there. And I won't lose focus. I will not lose focus. I can't afford to be sidetracked. By anything the world is throwing at me or anything Satan's throwing at me or health issues or financial, I can't, be, I can't afford to be sidetracked. I'm a runner that's got a race in front of me. I've got to stay in my race lane. The tape is in sight. I don't want to bust the tape. I'm not looking to the left or the right or what's behind me. It doesn't matter what's behind me. At some point in time, we have to obey Scripture, forgetting the past. It's worded as a participle in the Greek because often you have to keep on doing it. Oh, I did that once. <laughs> we might have to do it again and again and again and again. Keep on forgetting the past. Keep on looking forward to what lies ahead in Christ Jesus. <sighs> it is good to be in the Lord. Amen? Amen? Stand with me. The best is yet to come. We are not going to close in song uh, this morning. Uh, there are some pressing issues that we have to address, so we won't be closing in, in song this morning. I apologize. Uh, but I need to pray for you, with you, let you get out of here so you can get out there and bless other people.